Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. This is episode 184. Delighted to be joined by Shane Bourne, the CEO of Show Off. Shane, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Good, nice to be here. I'm delighted to have you on the show, man. It's it's been a long time coming. Um, Shane, typical fashion of the show. Couple of minutes getting to know you, the audience who's never heard of you before. Then we'll jump into all things business related, and then a couple of questions to wrap up. So. Let's jump into it. Uh, if if I'm to take a guess of where you grew up, I'm gonna guess you grew up in the village you went to secondary school. So that's somewhere between Gory and Wexford Town. Am I correct? No, you're a bit off. But bit so off. so yeah. So I grew up in the countryside near Rathrum in Wicklow. Um, so sort of like bang on between Glenelg and Rathrum, and then went to school in Barndarry, which is down the road here. Then went to secondary school in Wicklow Town, where I met my business partner and co-founder Philip Kirwan. And we um yeah, so that's that was it. And then grew up, went to UCD for a year, hated that, went to um did science in UCD, wanted to become a vet because I'm from a farming background, and decided then to go off and uh work in finance for my sins. Did that from 2007 to 2011. So those were the, the glory days, um, especially when everything sort of crashed down around us. But got really good experience. And uh, yeah, really, like I enjoyed it to a point. And then I was like, yeah, no, this is not for me. I'm not going to spend my lifetime here. Mm. So I uh, went off to Australia for a year, did all that stuff, enjoyed that. Um, spent six months in Melbourne, about six months again in Tasmania, milking cows, went back to my roots to find myself. And then came back and set up show off. So the rest is history. And now I'm back living on the family farm. We've done up the house and I'm living here with my wife and my little boy, Max. Your house won an award a couple of months ago, actually. House of the year for 2021 or 2022? Home of the year, 22. So, uh, yeah, that was interesting. So they got in contact with Kate through Instagram. Kate has an Instagram for the, the family farm house. So yeah. Out. Um, but uh, yeah, she's done a lot of work on the house. We've done a lot of work together to sort of build our vision of what we wanted. And then at the same time, it was they just got in contact with us through Instagram and asked us to do we want to sign up. So I wasn't as eager as Kate was, but look, it was her her thing to do. Um, we were delighted, got through a lot of work. I still have tinnitus from all the streaming that I had to do to get the place ready. Um, and uh, then we did it, we we won our episode got into the final and then won home of the year. So I know it's been brilliant. Look at super positive experience. Irish people are obsessed with houses. We are obsessed with houses. Um, Probably 800 years of not being able to own our own houses. Might do that to us, but uh, we love houses. We love property. Um, And people were super positive. Like what we did was in comparison to some houses, uh, there was a lot of grand design houses, big budgets, stuff like that we didn't have any of that we did tons of stuff ourselves we used clever materials like we have the roof of the back of our house is basically a farm shed roof but it's all insulated so it's perfect but it saved us 20 grand um so stuff like that just shopping around being a cute farmer you know so um yeah no but we've done it so it was brilliant and it's been super positive i don't know whether i 
you should congratulate you or keep it quiet about your house because my girl, I interviewed a guy called Eric Fullweiler, a uh, guy who opened up Vayner Media for Gary Vaynerchuk in London, and his wife won Home of the Year for London in 2022. So she got onto their Instagram and has been following it, getting ideas. So I don't know whether I should keep it silent that another guests have won Home of the Year 2022, but in Ireland, because you no doubt stalk the Instagram page and get more ideas. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's a common trend or something between all these like entrepreneurial types and business types that we like to achieve across multiple different aspects. Yeah, I look at I get to look at it. At the end of the day, Kate's always there for a few comments and there's a lot of antiques. There's a lot of regifted stuff in our house. There's a lot of sort of clever ways to, you know, save money and at the same time get a really impactful home. It's all just hard graft. We just did loads of stuff ourselves and we were very lucky. Our families were super supportive as well. But like, look, the property market's crazy in Ireland. I, I don't envy anyone trying to get into it. But thinking outside the box, like we took a farmhouse in the middle of Wicklow that was in good condition, but not in great condition possibly. And um, we just redid it from the ground up and don't like spend weekends digging out floors and putting in insulation and the whole lot of that stuff. Got our fingers dirty, but at the end of it, we've, we've had we have a great home uh to be our family home for for our, it's our forever home and yeah. um, hopefully to be max's or whichever one of our kids eventually decides they want to live here um it'll be their forever home but this is yeah it's kind of like the legacy project um you know like i'm very proud of the fact that i'm the, like max is the fourth generation of the burns living here um, and then when we have the farm and stuff as well it's just this is what i wanted this is what we envisaged together and this is what we built so now it's on to the next phase so uh, yeah i might have to come back on this time next year and tell you a bit more about what we have planned for the future of uh Ballygannon farm excellent well uh, i checked it out on the irish times did an article on you guys and it looks amazing but i i want to move back to you you talked about your time at ucd originally uh science and then you switched to finance and you did four years financial advice if i'm correct what made you make the switch and why to finance yeah so I always loved business. I was like, I started my first business when I was like like 10 years of age. I bought a hundred chickens and sold eggs locally. So I had my dad driving me around the country uh, selling eggs to people. Like for me, I sort of wanted to, the only reason I ended up doing science was I wanted to be a vet and it was the route into it. So it was to do a science degree, then move into veterinary, but I'm pretty impatient. So that would have been nearly a 10, 11 year process. Um, and I just could not get my head around college. It was just too slow paced. I'd already done leave and start school, all that stuff. Loved it, like and had to go crack with the lads and all. But at the same time, I wanted to try and just kickstart my life. Really, I suppose I didn't want to do academia forever. Yeah. Um, so I did science and UCD. Did very well in some subjects, and the pro- subjects that I did better in were my electives, which were like agri business and different things like that so I decided right this is time to move on um, and then the opportunity came up to work in the bank so I've been working in bars and stuff during the summer that year decided I wasn't going to go back to college and then took an opportunity to go work with AIB for four years and sort of graduated very quickly from like cashier and stuff to being a relationship manager to doing regional coordination for mortgages for Dublin um, and being like over the retail team and stuff in Donnybrook which is is now gone and um, it's been just been sold there so it's there'll be some coffee shop or something in Morehampton Road soon but um yeah I did that but it was just more so I think just a start 
like that's really what I wanted to do was start somewhere and then figure out what I wanted to do. I always knew I wanted to be self-employed. Um, I always knew I wanted to do something involved in the business other than, other than if I had gone into veterinary, but the business size of that would have really interested me too. Yeah, I, 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 I do want to jump in the show off, but you mentioned AIB there and that's probably one of the longest roles you had in, 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 in a corporate job that you showcase on your LinkedIn page. Yeah. So I'm curious to know, in those four years, what perhaps skills or behaviors did you improve that helped you when it went to launch and show off? Yeah. Um, like obviously my professional behaviors and stuff were like, like I was all, I was like well able to like draft an email and have a conversation and I was always good at selling, but just naturally. But when it came to like, you know, administration, learning how to like basically do cold calling from the ground up with prospective leads and stuff like that mm. and then even to to build out stuff like product bundling this should lead to this and product life cycles and stuff probably i put a lot more emphasis on that than even the bank was doing at the time because i used to build out charts where you'd be like well if you need this you're going to need this this, this. so did a lot of work like that and that sort of helped us in our rankings at the time in a tough time in banking but like yeah that it taught me that sort of stuff but at the same time it taught me a lot of stuff that i didn't want to do so I seen like people staying there for a lifetime because it was the steady job. And, you know, like the one that your grandmother says prayers for and lights candles for that they want you to get a pensionable job and stay there till the day you need the pension. That wasn't for me. Um, also just generally like management styles. Like I had some brilliant managers and I still talk about them today and I have some wildest managers and I would never want to meet them again. Just their interaction with people and how you want to be treated like look i'm not saying i'm perfect i'm sure there's some people who've worked with me previously will be like oh, chain's great chain's not great whatever but hopefully you get your wins and your learns and um that's all i want to do is try and improve so but there was definitely stuff there that i've never done personally um and that we've never brought into or allowed creep into the company that i that i would have learned there but at the same time look Hugely positive experience, uh, really tough time in Ireland for finance, uh, very tough time with customers, learned a lot about how when emotional intelligence uh, worked with other people, I was probably, I'm probably much higher on the emotional intelligence quotient than it will be on the IQ quotient, but um, I'm more cute than clever probably, um, but at the same time, um, yeah, like there was a lot of emotion that time. There was a lot of people very upset because and the banks were a core to that, but the people working there weren't. Um, so like we had so many difficult situations to manage, very difficult phone calls, a highly amount of phone calls, highly amount of meetings face-to-face with people who had potentially lost everything um, and other people who were just under such stress that they didn't know what to do. So we did a lot of work on that. So yeah, I think that sort of crisis management probably would be another skill that I would have took from there. But yeah, no, look at it overall, I came out of there, I had a QFA in finance um, and I had had a lot of experience at the same time. I was able to move on and try something different. I imagine a year of that whole crisis management side of things is probably equivalent to maybe five years of other people's experience. I'd say so, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people, it was kind of a mixture of <clears throat> you either sank or you swim. And really, it was very much like we had a lot of like people who deferred to other staff so if you were willing to go out and speak to someone you would be busy all the time 
Yeah. Um, where someone might just go into the back and do a bit of filing for a couple of hours because they don't want to actually go out and have the hard conversations. So I think even from a senior to a junior perspective, like when I started in the bank, I was only 19. When I left the bank, I was 23. So like, but I was having very, very adult conversations in my very early 20s with people who were under severe pressure because the people who should have done them weren't willing to do them because they weren't getting paid enough anymore. So let's move on to show off. You'll be a better man to give the 30 second commercial or sure, elevator pitch, sure. whatever you want to call it, that I am because you own the business. So the mic is yours. Yeah, cool. So yes, show off. Um, we do everything from payments, uh, complex data transformations, payment or integrations. Uh, we were, we're a Salesforce partner, Neosoft partner, and we're a Stripe partner as well. Um, do very big projects across multiple different um, industries, including automotive, retail, uh, travel and transport. Um, we have been on the go for 10 years. So 1st of November, we officially opened our doors 2012. Just the two of us. Um, we funded the company with 4,000 euros and 80 sheep. I sold the sheep. I bought MacBooks. The rest is history. Um, customers all over the globe now. We've worked with customers. Obviously, UK and Ireland, uh, across Europe. We've had customers in Australia. North America now is starting to kick off for us again, which is great. Um, and yeah, we do everything in uh, in between, between CRM systems and integrating different services. So that's kind of a whistle-stop tour. There's a lot there. People generally usually just get the 4,000 euros and the 80 sheep, and then we start rolling out brand names. So we work with likes of Quick Fit Tires and National Express. Bentley Motors will be kind of my biggest customers. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's show off. That's who we are. Side comment, have you have you got any animals on the farm now? Yeah, yeah, I have. I've got um I graduated from sheep to cattle, so nice. I have 37 Anguses outside there at the moment. Um, so that's 20 females calving every year. Um, but no, it's great. Uh, I love it. That's that is my downtime i find it very tangible to farm you can um see something happening from day to day you can put your hands on it you can have an interaction with it whereas sometimes i find with tech uh even though i love it and it's been the making of my career and what we've done to show off in my life outside of it, it the intangibility of software and, and um development it gets offset against the farm and so and people love it people love talking about it something totally different like just a lot of customers we'd have and they'd never seen a farm before. They wouldn't know what a cow even looks like. It's one of those conversations where does milk come from? Come from the shop. Oh yeah, I, I love cows myself. My girlfriend's parents have a house top of uh, near the Hellfire Club in Dublin. They've got a bunch of cows and uh, I, I found it strange that uh, there's certain farms that the cows don't get into human interaction and they can actually be quite aggressive because the cows that I'd go up and not chat to, but like hang out with are absolutely fine around humans, but other cows are, are incredibly aggressive, which is which is strange to me. Yeah, that's different. Different breeds and different temperaments. It's like people, I suppose. It depends on how you interact with them. Um, like I would do a lot of calls. Um, only I had to sit down in front of the computer to talk to you today. I probably could have been out in the field moving a fence or chatting to the cows. Um, no, it's like they have a lot of interaction uh so they're very quiet and we've uh, the angus breed is very quiet as well so we have them here for a reason um and they work very well and they're very like eco ecologically friendly uh early maturing and like less emissions and stuff like that which is 
obviously a, a huge sort of topic in, in farming going forward mm. and then at the same time it's very sustainable like they take very little input with regards to meal and stuff like that they're predominantly grass-fed and then my bulls are sold early and they go to a di- to, into a dairy beef market where they um, help keep cows and milk and keep costs down because there's low maintenance there's no issues with calving and stuff so that's the uh, that's the Ballygan and Angus plug as well so um, if anyone's looking for a stock bull next year give me a shout I will leave your details below just from a business point of view, but they can contact you as well if they want. Before yeah. we move on, I have one more question in terms of the cows. How does Max get on with them? He loves them. He loves them. So, uh, yeah, we're very lucky. There was a lot of stuff sort of planned, like about what we wanted in their future when we started, when myself and Kate met and we started going out together. Yeah. And we sort of figured out that it was going to be for the long haul. It was like, we both were from farming backgrounds and we wanted to bring him up in the countryside. Um, so like I'd bring Max out and he'd come out and we'd sit him up on the gate and the cows would come up and he'd pet them on the nose and stuff. And you go to him, uh, Max, who's daddy's favourite cow, and he goes, Winnie. So uh, he's not wrong either. Um, but like, uh, yeah, like he loves them. He, but he loves the farming stuff, but look, you have to keep him safe and keep him away from it. So it's well barricaded off. But then at the same time, he's a i bring him out a lot and sort of show him what's going on and he has a he has a good appreciation for sort of everything that happens like he loves the baby calves and loves seeing everything and even like yesterday there was a guy here buying heifers and he came up the field on my shoulders and he was talking to your man when i was selling the couple of heifers to him so that's just sort of what like what i envisage that sort of manifestation piece like that's kind of what i wanted to be able to do was be able to Throw him up on the shoulders, bring him up the field, and uh, let's have a let's see what what's going on with cattle. But yeah, very lucky so far. He loves it, but he could turn around now one day and break my heart and tell me that he he wants to to uh, support Man United and uh, he's going to become a vegan or something like that, and then that'll be the end. But we won't be able to speak to him anymore. Well, Max, if you listen to this podcast at any point, don't support United and don't turn vegan. <laughs> Partnerships on the business side of things. It's it's some it's a question I ask recent guests because a lot of uh, investors are looking for uh, how companies are going to tap into partnerships moving forward. And I see that you've got a few with like Salesforce and Stripe and AWS. How key are partnerships uh, for show off in terms of growing the business? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like like the way I sort of look at partnerships is you get in what you put out uh, or hopefully. Right, so um, you get out what you put in, whichever way that phrase works. Um, so the way I sort of look at it is we're very specialist in certain areas. So subscription models, payments, CRM integrations, uh, full digital transformation, data cleansing and stuff like that. So we do stuff that other people don't do. Um, but at the same time, is we've got really good reference customers and we have really good relationships with our customers where we sort of are able to roll them out and sort of go look at, talk to XYZ they'll tell you what it's like to work with show off um for us introductions are probably the biggest thing with the partners so obviously we don't have the spending power so there's 20 people in show off at the moment um we consider we're, we're actually hiring at the minute for a couple of different roles across development and everything like that but there's 20 people there at the minute we wouldn't have the spending power to do the marketing and stuff that the likes of salesforce stripe or mulesoft would do um but at the same time is we have skills, we have referenceability, and we have deep domain like understanding of their products 
that a lot of salespeople and even just general people that are involved in the companies wouldn't have. So we support them to grow their relationships with the customers, um, but it's all about them getting us in front of the customer. So it's kind of a symbiotic relationship where we go in, they bring us a customer headache, sit down together and go, okay, well, look, if you do this, this and this, this is going to be a return on investment. If you don't do that and stay as you are, nothing's going to fall apart, but it's not going to progress. And for us, that's kind of that expertise and the sort of level of respect that you get in your partner channels, provided you give that back to them and you sort of push them as well, because like big companies are, they need to be sort of kept on their toes too, because you have your partner managers, you have different relationships with different teams. If you don't push and you don't constantly make your voice heard, you will be left behind. So like, that's one of my big things on partners is you just have to put in the time, you have to put in the effort, you have to have the conversations. And then when you get the customers, you have to deliver. Like delivery is everything. Execution, if you don't execute, you kill every time. Like. Absolutely. You mentioned that you're hiring. I saw there's at least three open roles that yeah. you've put on your website and LinkedIn. Congrats on, on that end. Um, sure. You know, hiring a bad hire is a costly mistake. There's many stats are there of, you know, the missed opportunity and et cetera, et cetera. Um, how do you reduce the risk of something like that happening? I'm sure being a fully remote company attracts more and more people, which is great, but how do you reduce the risk of making that buyer hire? You're not just going off good, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. So, like, no, like, I think you have to take good into account as well. Like, there's yeah. been people who look right for the job, and then when you sort of sit down, you have a conversation, you go, there's something that's just not sitting right. And if that's the case, then you just have to sort of get to the level of, okay, well, look at how comfortable are you with the risk around it? Um, I think we have like different stage gates. I think the market's very hot at the moment. Um, like, yeah, I don't know. You might have to delete this later on, but I'm sure you can leave it in. So like the likes of the IDA, when they make their big announcements that some companies coming in and they're going to create uh, 20,000 jobs or a thousand developer roles in Ireland. You just take it with a pinch of salt, but at the same time, you know, that's going to be, that potentially is going to be a headache for you in the future because they're just going to come in and flood the market. And yeah. we are resource light in Ireland, full stop. In the global technology stakes, we're light. There's not enough developers to fill all the roles. And there's not a good, not, not enough good developers to fill the roles. So for us, it's kind of like retention is a very key model. We have we've retained majority of our staff are with us a long time now. Um, so the way I sort of look at it is you have different stage gates and the more people are with you, you sort of try to figure out what's the right fit for the team. So we'd involve different levels. So there'd be different team managers might be involved in different interview processes. And um, we'd have external resources sometimes who I'd say, listen, you know, chat with that person there just to see what you think and give me totally, I want something totally different. Not that like, because obviously when everyone sits in the, it's like families like politics one family might vote the same way forever right but then it takes someone to sort of go off and say well hold on i don't really agree with that mm. um so that when i get an external resource to have a conversation with someone and validate what we're actually thinking then that gives a lot of kudos to it and generally that means that you're sort of on the right track because sometimes you get blind spots because you're just used to everyone so yeah. you know what i mean um so i think i think that's for, for me is like yeah, the market's hot at the moment, really hot for tech staff, but at the same time, it depends on what people want. You want freedom, flexibility for your family for, for as one thing. You want to be paid well and looked after and good packages. You want to be able to progress and you want to do interesting stuff. Like there, that's kind of the keys. Like for me is like, 
given a level of respect, given a level of, of autonomy, but working as part of the team. And the flexibility thing for us is now becoming massive because a lot of our team now are starting to get into the stage where they are buying houses or they have kids and whatever. They have other stuff that's sort of not detracting, but needs attention in your life. Mm. And because of that, then what you need to do is find a job that'll actually work with you. So that's what we're trying to do with Show Off. And uh, I think we're doing it well at the moment. You know, somebody might send me a message this afternoon and tell me the opposite. But definitely that's what we're trying to do. And uh, that's where we're trying to get for our sort of growth sort of plans over the next couple of years. I was going to say, I, I, I don't imagine, let's say like Workday announced a thousand new roles over the next three or four years. I don't imagine them as direct competitors to you because you have a completely different offering for an engineer than the likes of Workday, you know? Yeah. Uh, take me, for example. I could never imagine myself working for a Salesforce or a LinkedIn or a Workday, but I could totally imagine myself working for a small business between 10 to 50 employees. It's just a completely different feeling. And there's probably enough reams around. I'm not, I'm not an engineer, but there's probably enough reams around Ireland that you can attract talent. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of a mixture. So what we've actually had is we've had a good few guys who've joined us. So we've had uh, people come out from Salesforce, people come out from Oracle and who've been in the big machine and sort of institutionalized on the verge of it. Uh, after maybe a decade and like have joined our team and then they've come in and they've been able to add massive levels of value across customer relationship management, account planning, growth strategies, all that sort of stuff. It depends on where you are in your life, I think as well. Mm. So I think that a lot of people, and this is one good thing that I think COVID brought to us and obviously there's, it was a disaster for everyone. Economies personally, like geez, people lost their family members and stuff and it was awful. But at the same time, I think it gave us a kind of an inflection point as well for a lot of people to sort of go, well, what do I actually want from my life and from my job going forward? And like for us, that's sort of where we're sort of looking at it and we're going, there is people who want to work in a sort of a more smaller enterprise where they can have a bigger impact and see maybe directly their impact rather than being part of the big corporate machine where you have a number, you have metrics, but you don't really see the end product because it gets funneled back to San Francisco or London or wherever it's going. But at the same time, yeah, it just, it depends on what suits people. But yeah, like there is, there's tons of different people want to work in different systems. The fact that we are fully remote now will allow us to attract different people and to attract a different level of quality. But then at the same time is a lot of stuff we do is headhunting. So it's like finding people who we want to work with just through relationships uh, through contacts and stuff like that and then reaching out to them and starting a conversation like for example barry's my chief commercial officer i spoke to barry about coming to work and show off four years before he started john the same so like these guys are long-term relationships and and then like obviously like my brother's that he's the head of design and he looks after stuff like that so i, I poach people from within my own family but at the same time it's it's about trying to find the right people for the right roles and the right people that you can depend on when you need to so yeah like that's it we want to try and create a level of ownership but at the same time we want to be able to give people enough flexibility that they can actually enjoy their career enjoy their lives and that they want to be here because you really need people to want to be here because if they don't want to be here then it's not good for them and it's not good for you yeah so exactly um before I ask you the final question, I'm going to leave links to your website, your LinkedIn, and anything else you want, post this recording. I can put in the comment wherever people are listening or watching to this. But the final question I want to wrap up today with Shane is, if you were a minister for education, 
and you had to add a mandatory subject to the Leaving Cert curriculum, what would that subject be and why? That's a really good question. Um, I would say um, skills around uh, communication. And I know that's a really bad way to say communication skills, so clearly I need to take that course. But I think that there are so many people who are afraid of stuff. And I understand like there's mental health problems, anxiety problems and stuff like that happen. And that's naturally occurring. And, and the support mechanisms are hopefully there for those people. But like the amount of people who can't negotiate, mm. the amount of people who can't have a proper conversation around, like get to get to the point of what they actually want for themselves and what they want for to be able to help you to do. Um, like sales for me, I was very lucky that like I grew up in a fireman environment as we obviously covered in detail in this call. But um, like my first sales experience was our purchasing experiences like buying sheep in Ashford Market four years of age. You know, so I grew up with it. It was second nature. Dealing with older people and being able to communicate with them was always kind of where I was going. I was the first one born on, on one side of my family and the second last on the other side. So I was dealing with older people the whole time. Um, but that communications piece I think is key and being able to help people to like understand better, you know, where, what they want to do, you know, communicate what you want to do. It's, there's nothing wrong with saying to someone, I only want to work four days a week and I want to do this, that or the other. Like someone might have a role that suits that. But at the same time, if you don't ask and you're getting more and more stressed out and it doesn't suit you and you're getting depressed by it, then you have to make a change. So like, um, there's a really good advisor that I have his name is Adrian Evans um, and he works with me at the Enterprise Sales Club and his thing is that uh, quiet boys don't get sweets and uh, he he definitely is right and he goes to me he goes Shane Barton you were definitely the, the least quiet boy I've ever met in my life so you got to put it out there and you got to try and get it um, and you have to work hard for it so yeah resilience and, and communications I suppose would probably be my uh, my meshed up subject Oh, I like that. Most people add uh, coding or finance, so I always like a a a, a, a new answer. Yeah. Shane, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. I wish you continued success both on the farm and and in business. But we'll leave it here for today. Brilliant, Rain. Listen, thanks a million for having me. Um, it has definitely been a long time coming, but it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, what you're doing is phenomenal. So keep up the good work. And if anyone wants to talk to us about anything digital reach out showoff.ie and you catch me like that you're metro don't trust you i'm gonna show you beautiful morning you're the sun of my morning babe nothing